And that's a word that we don't usually use except for this time of year. Um, and so it simply just means arrival. But it's like a way of dressing up a, an arrival. So it's an arrival of somebody important or something important. An important event is coming. And so we use that word because we now understand that the birth of Jesus was something that was worthy of using the word Advent. Um, so much so that it's really the only time that you'll ever hear the word is around the season as we celebrate the birth of Christ. And so for our series on Advent, we're going to be trying to understand why the birth of Christ is such a big deal. Like, why is it so important? And the um, image that is going to help us understand why the birth of Christ is so important is this image of Christ being light. Christ is light. Around my dinner table, every now and then, not every, not every day, but often, we go through kind of like a ritual of lighting a candle, and we all repeat, Christ is light, as a way of reminding us that Christ is light. And so we are going to be looking today at Christ being the light who is not overtaken. He's not overcome. He's not defeated. And then over the course of the next month or so, we're going to be looking at like some of the specific ways that Christ is not defeated. The darkness isn't overcoming him. And even more so how he is overcoming the darkness as he reveals God. That'll be next week. Christ as light reveals God. And then the following week, Christ being the light, he gives life. So that's another aspect of light. Light gives life. Christ gives light, life. And then finally, maybe the most basic, but something we all need a reminder of is that light shines. So Christ shines. It goes out. It doesn't stay put. It actually emanates and it goes out. And so this morning, we are going to be spending some time in John 1, which is a very kind of traditional um, place to start an Advent series. And my hope is that we will actually be able to pick apart one verse and understand it maybe a little bit deeper or just see it from a different perspective this morning. Because I think um, maybe we can gloss over this because it's familiar and we've heard it a lot. And so we'll just kind of breeze past it without actually understanding what this is communicating. So you can open up with me in the Gospel of John, John 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5, but really we're going to just be settling down in verse 5. So John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this season where we can um, take a break where we can set our minds on one of the most important aspects of our faith. 
that your eternal word put on human flesh was born as a helpless infant, lived a life on this earth, and came for the purpose of redeeming your people. And so, Lord, I ask that you would show this beautiful truth to us in a fresh way this morning, that we would, um, that we would actually use it to guide our hearts, to guide our affections during the season where there's so many different things that are in competition for our worship. And that, Lord, that you would help us to worship you in spirit and in truth, even here this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Bible trivia time. What are the first words that God says according to the Bible? Let there be light. Some people might have wanted to say in the beginning, but he didn't say that. <laughs> it was the narr- their narrator is saying that. Let there be light. The Gospel of John takes you right back to Genesis very intentionally. In the beginning. Especially for John's audience, who were going to be mostly Hebrew people living dispersed. This is going to be um, revolutionary. For them to hear these words and then for these words to be put into the context of the life of Jesus. In the beginning was the word. Because in Genesis, in the beginning was God. And so one of the things that we have to see right away is that for John, this is not just the birth of a human person. It is the birth of a human person. But it's the taking on of a human nature of the eternal son. The very word that said, let there be light, is now putting on human flesh and coming into creation. And we see his creative power in this little portion of scripture that we're looking at, because he made everything. And there's nothing that is made that was not made by him. And then he is described as light. He's the light of men. And he's light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, that's a nice image, isn't it? You might picture like a little candle shining in a window on a nice like Christmas Eve. It kind of gives us warm and fuzzies, like, oh yeah, the light shines in the darkness. That's nice. And so I want to disrupt that for a minute because that's not at all what this verse means. It's not at all what this verse means. This, the darkness that the light is shining in this verse is not sterile darkness. It's not darkness that is just kind of there as part of an aesthetic. But it's real darkness. It's darkness that goes back before God began his creative work. It's darkness that was over everything. It's chaos. It's meaninglessness. It's void. And then the darkness 
doesn't just stop there, but after the work of creation, we see the darkness actually start to seep back into God's creation. After he makes light, after he makes and puts the things of the universe into order and makes them, you see the darkness come back in in the form of sin and rebellion against God. And basically, the story of Genesis is an uncreation. It's everything and the order that God had put into the world and the universe starting to be unraveled and undone. And you see this in a lot of ways, but the picture of the flood is maybe the most powerful one. Why? Because the darkness had become so deep and so dark that the thoughts and intentions of man were only evil continuously. And so God, in judgment of that, covers the earth in waters. There's the same chaotic waters that he was hovering over and separated land out of. He puts back over. He says, the darkness has started to overcome the goodness of my creation. And so going back into Genesis is where John wants to take us in order for us to understand how it is that the light has not been overcome by the darkness. Because this would not have been super intuitive at the time. It would be easy to be an Israelite and think that the darkness had overcome the light. Because you're going back to a story of a people who had this kind of cyclical pattern established in their history with God and with the forces of good and evil. You can see this pattern with Adam as he is given the light. He's given the light of revelation. He's given the light of instruction from God on what to do and how to participate in God's creation. And then his light is extinguished by rebellion. And he's cast out of the garden. He's exiled. You see a promise given to Abraham. It's a little spark of a light in a wild place. And you see Abraham go out. But then you see that light start to fade as what's supposed to bring the fulfillment of that promise, children, as the lives of these children unfold, you see Abraham's children start to progressively stray and their light is extinguished. It goes out. You see Moses pick up light and be led by the fire of God, the pillar of fire in the wilderness into the promised land, almost. And then the light that Moses was given goes out and he dies outside of the land. You see that same light picked up by Joshua as he leads the people into the land and then read the book of Judges. Talk about a fire hose putting out a little tiny match. The people consistently would be in rebellion to this work of redemption that God was trying to work through the people. Saul, a king that looked like the real deal, rejects God. 
David, a God, a man after God's own heart, God's anointed, the one to whom God said, your descendants will sit on your throne forever. His spark goes out in perhaps the most horrific moral um, abomination as he takes something that's not his and uses his power for the most base appetite that he has. And then the kingdom's divided, the people are exiled, and the light seems like it's always going out. And this darkness is unshakable. This is happening over a period of years and years and years, and darkness just is always there. And it seems like it always snuffs out the light of God's promise to his people and the work that God is trying to do in his people. And so at the end of the Old Testament, at the end of at least the English Bible's version of the order of these books, we come to the prophet Malachi, and in the very last chapter of this book of Malachi, Malachi prophesies about a day of the Lord. And he says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, S-U-N, Son of Righteousness, shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. After that prophecy is uttered, there is a period where God is silent in the land with the people for 400 years. So the people of God are dispersed, they're exiled, they're living in as they're occupied by these different empires for 400 years, and they're waiting for a sunrise. Have you ever waited 400 years for a sunrise? Think about that. Think about how long it is to wait in darkness, complete darkness, for 400 years, generation after generation after generation. There's a promise of a sunrise, but it's not there yet. If you've ever spent a long night waiting for the morning, you can start to kind of understand the desperation of this moment in human history. In the history of God's people, it's a moment of desperation. If you've ever entered into a season of suffering and you've waited for healing, you've waited for restoration, if you've ever entered into a period of relational turmoil or strife or prolonged anxiety and you're waiting for resolution, you know what this feels like. You're waiting for something to get better. 
And the picture that we have that we're waiting for is the picture of a sunrise. It's the picture of the sun of righteousness. And when he rises, he's going to set everything ablaze. And it's a picture of judgment. It's a picture of judgment for people who had been oppressed for hundreds of years. It's a picture of liberation for people who had been enslaved and in captivity. And the sunrise, John very specifically makes it clear, comes as this Jesus puts on human flesh. The light which gives light to everyone came into the world. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It happened 2,000 years ago. So why do we still feel like we feel? Why do we all have a participation in the misery of waiting for a sunrise? Why do we all still suffer? Why do we all still sin? Why does darkness still feel like it's winning? And why are we still waiting for something? Well, the answer is expressed even in the life of Jesus. And the prologue, the rest of the prologue of John's gospel, which is verses 1 through 18, it describes what happens. In verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. He came into the world, but the world did not receive him. He came to be the Messiah of the Jewish people, and they crucified him. Jesus was abandoned by everyone in this world. And so how is it that John can say, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it? To say that at the beginning of a gospel where the main character gets crucified, it's a bold statement. That's a pretty good extinguishing. That's a pretty good overcoming. That was the symbol of Roman victory over their enemies. Complete defeat. Shame. Curse. All taken on as Jesus was led to the cross and was crucified. But that wasn't the end. That wasn't the end of the light of Jesus. In his resurrection, that is the rising of the Son of Righteousness that Malachi was talking about. The ability for Jesus to raise from the dead proves that he was righteous. It proves that he did what all of those people, all of those figures in the history of Israel couldn't do, which was resist the darkness, not be overcome by the darkness, not be defeated by the darkness. He remained pure, another aspect of light. He remained a force for life over death by being sinless. And in his resurrection, 
he is now starting to set the world ablaze. And he does it first with his disciples as he gathers them and then sends them back out into the world. And he gives the church the apostles with this gospel message, this message that the light has not been defeated. It has not been overcome. And so the church throughout the 2,000 years since the life of Jesus has been preaching this message, this good news, into the darkness. Because we're still waiting. We're still waiting for another advent. We're still waiting for the return of Jesus. When he comes back for all of his people, when he comes back to bring a new world that is void of darkness, that's so beautiful, so pure, so holy, that we don't even need the sun anymore to see, because we will have the light that God brings. It will be like back in Genesis 1, 3, when God just said, let there be light, and there was light. He didn't create the sun yet. He hadn't made the stars and the moon. He was light. And as Jesus comes back, he is coming back to bring that light and he will put an end to the darkness. And we all need to hear that because this is the hope of the Christmas message. The hope of the Christmas message is a now but future hope. It's a hope that we can hold on to, that we can grasp now, but we still wait for. It hasn't been completed yet. It hasn't been fulfilled yet because we're still waiting for Jesus to return, but we can grasp it. And that's a really interesting thing about this verse in verse 5 is the word that is used for overcome kind of has a dual meaning. The light has not overcome it. That's one way of translating it. Another way of translating it is the light has not been apprehended by it. And so it's a word that means two things almost simultaneously. And we, we have these words too. And so I'm kind of frustrated they didn't use one of them here. But it's like the light has not been grasped or the darkness has not grasped the light or mastered the light. So to grasp something has two different meanings, right? You can grasp a concept in terms of like understanding it, right? And that's why some English versions translate this as the darkness has not comprehended it. But you can also grasp something by seizing it, by grabbing it, by conquering it. Same thing with mastered, right? And so here is the amazing part about the hope that we have with the message of Christmas is that the darkness cannot understand this light. And we've all participated in darkness. We have all been defeated by darkness, both the darkness that is in this world and the darkness that is part of us. We have actually become part of the darkness. But we understand. 
And so the light has been given to us in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And now we understand the light. And we live in the light. We bear witness about the light. We hold out the light. We live by the light. And so for all of us here today, that is the message of Christmas. It's not that as soon as you believe this, everything is made instantly better, and there's no more darkness. That sounds great, but it just doesn't exist yet. The message of Christmas is that the light shines in the darkness that it's still there, that it's not being tainted, and it cannot be put out. Because they already tried. The forces of death and evil have already tried to extinguish the light of Christ, and he rose from the dead. And as he rose, he leads us in resurrection life. And we go out in the light. And it's light for now that is in the darkness. But we are waiting for the light to return and bring an all-encompassing sunrise that will have no sunset. And that is the message of Christmas. It's something that actually can exist in the darkness of this world, giving us real hope with substance, with power, with energy, with purity. It's the hope of light. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us this message. That as we enter back into the world that you have created and look at your work in it, we can see that Sending your son to take on human flesh was always part of your plan that you were patiently waiting for and that you have fulfilled. And in the same way, Lord, you are waiting to send your risen son back to the earth to make us whole, to make all of your creation new, to give us an eternity in your light. And so, Lord, as we go about this season, as we think about celebrating Christmas in all the ways that the culture accepts, Lord, help us to have a voice that points to something deeper, points to something more substantive, something that isn't just celebrated for four weeks out of the year, but something that transforms the lives of your people that brings real hope into the darkness. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.